Titus, Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Let us pray and ask the Lord's hand upon us as we enter into His Word this morning. God, we come now and we ask Your hand to be at work through Your Word in our midst as Your people. Lord, show us what You would have us to be as Your church. As we sit under Your Word, as we sit under the preaching, as we sit under and are ministered to by Your Word in Your we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The uh, market inflation related to lumber lately has had a significant impact upon at least one very important individual. That individual is my son. We had been planning for a little while to buy a swing set to put in our backyard, and all of a sudden swing sets are very difficult to come by unless you want to spend tens of thousands of dollars. Might be a bit of an exaggeration, but you get the idea. But make no mistake, this is not a sob story. Uh, Many places all over the the internet and all over the area, they're literally just sold out. They don't have, they're on back order. Maybe you get a month down the line, so we're just waiting. But this isn't a sob story um, because there are literally 9,000 parks within about a 10-minute drive of our house. So my son is able to play any and all times he wishes to do so. And truthfully, truthfully, if I'm going to be totally honest with you at the outset here as we talk about this, um, as Amanda and I have looked at and read about different swing sets and looked over the instruction manuals and the assembly instructions and all that, every time I start to read them on the internet, I, I, I get a little like woozy and, and, and hazy. It's like, you know, things, thing, things like you'll need at least eight to 12 hours or months to assemble um, some of these require a uh, master's degree in structural engineering and additional study in uh, environmental science. And I just look at it and I just, I, uh, my mind starts to blow. So if I'm being really honest, whenever I see that they're on back order and you can't really order them right now, my response is kind of like, oh, geez, that's too bad. You know? Instruction manuals are weird. You know, it seems like anything that you get an instruction manual to, whether it be a swing set or the new uh, vacuum that you purchase that you've got to assemble, they're either, on one side, they're either as long and as extensive as like Tolstoy's War and Peace, or they're short and make it seem a whole lot simpler than it really is. Like, hey, in these three easy steps, you can get your swing set built. There's nothing easy or simple about it, though. We know that. But instructions are good. Whether it's a swing set or a skyscraper, you want the people that are building it to know what they're doing and build it in accord with the design in which it's going to function appropriately and in a healthy manner. You know that God gave us an instruction manual for how we build the church. It might not be something that you would regularly think about. You might think about it in accord with your swing set. Or you might hope that the mechanics or... Uh, those who are tasked with uh, keeping the airline, the, the airplane that you're about to board, that they're doing the regular maintenance and keeping things up to snuff there. Or you hope that the doctor that's about to perform surgery on you is going by all the guidelines and instruction and education that he or she has received. But have you ever thought about the instructions on how you build the church and why this is needed? Well, it's needed because whenever you start to wing it as a church, you can fall into all sorts of error. You can fall into error that 
can cause spiritual harm today, or sadly, even cause spiritual death when you enter into eternity. Well, the book of Titus gives us an instruction manual for how we ought to build the church. So we're going to be in Titus over the course of the next uh, uh, about six or seven weeks, I believe it is. And we're going to see how God would have us to build his church. But this morning, just in the introduction, in Titus 1, verses 1 through 4, we're going to see, by God's grace, through his word, that the following, God has firmly established his design for the church. And he will accomplish his wonderful purposes for us through his word. Let me say that again. Clue in on this. God has firmly established his design for the church. And he will accomplish his wonderful purposes for us through his word. If you want to follow along, track how we're making our way through this, we're going to see the authority over the church. Then we're going to see the purpose for the church. And then we're going to see the plan. So the authority, who makes the design? The purpose, what is the design? And then the plan for how we execute it. Authority, purpose, plan. Okay? But first, follow along as I read from Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in His Word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior, to Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior." First, the authority over how we, do the, how we do church. That authority is God. You see that at the beginning, right there in verse 1. Now it's important as we begin to make our way through the book of Titus to understand the context of why Paul is writing this. Paul says that he is the author, the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to a young man named Titus. So what's going on though? Who is Titus? Why has he been left in this play, in this church, and why is Paul writing to him? What's happening in the church? Well, the Apostle Paul had served to help plant a number of churches on the island of Crete in the Mediterranean. And so Paul was a traveling missionary and church planter, so he would uh, preach the gospel and people would come to faith in Jesus Christ and he'd start to gather them into churches and just, just do that uh, uh, groundbreaking work. And then he'd hand off these young churches to pastors that would start to lead them and start to establish them in maturity. And, and Paul is writing to Titus, whom he had left in Crete, to help lead these churches. But the problem was that some false teachers had come on the scene and they were seeking to discredit the message of Paul and discredit the message of the gospel so, or, or, or discredit the, the instruction manual that Paul had given. So Paul wrote to Titus to urge him to establish these churches in accord with how God has designed in Scripture. That's why if you're familiar with Paul's normal greetings in many of his letters to churches, this one in Titus seems particularly thick particularly meaty, particularly robust. Titus is a small book, but it's got a thick uh, introduction that Paul gives. 
Because Paul is laying, he's walking in right at the outside and laying his credentials on the table and saying, this is who I am. This is the authority by which I write. So stop listening to these people who would lead you astray. Paul knew that the churches, young churches in Crete, were hearing from multiple voices. Maybe enjoying the rich debate about what Christianity could and should be all about. We still hear those conversations today, do we not? Christianity should be about uh, maintaining a, 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 a connection with the past. A morality that this world is losing. Or Christianity should be about advocating for the cause of the poor or the oppressed. For gender equality or LGBTQ uh, uh, causes. Or for causes that are pro-life. Or for causes of, of communal connection with one another. Or for uh, causes of... Of, of caring for the environment and preserving that there is a world tomorrow. In Christianity, you hear all these different voices trying to say what all the church should be about. Some causes that you could say, okay, yeah, that makes a little more sense. And other causes, eh, I'm not really tracking with that one. Whatever it may be, whether on the conservative side or the liberal side, there can easily be voices that would tell the church, here's what you should give yourself to. But Paul walks in the door. And he puts his credentials on the table. One of my favorite television shows of all time is The West Wing. I don't know if you're familiar with this show, but it's about a presidential administration. It was done about 20 years ago. And there are all these staffers in the, in the office of the president. And there's, there's CJ, there's Toby, there's Sam, there's Josh. There's a um, number of staffers. And they'll, they'll, have, they'll be having these like passionate, robust debates about, about a policy issue or an administrative position or, or anything like that. And they're, they're having it out and they're all sleep deprived and running on coffee and all of this. And in walks the president who just got off a phone call with a world leader and with his smarts and with his wisdom that surpasses their youthful uh, 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 passion and all these things. And he says, here's the decision. Here's what we're going to do. And you know what happens? It's not up for debate. When the president speaks, all who are on his staff say, yes, sir, we will go implement it. Well, Paul walks in and says, God is speaking. Let us hear what he would say for his church. And you know why we need to hear this in our day and age of all days and age. But you know why we need to hear this in our day and age? In a time when people wonder about the relevance of the church. Is Christianity still relevant to our culture today? Is Christianity still relevant to our world today? I believe it's when it's, it's at its most relevant, when it's most connected with the one who has founded it and the one who has established the church for his glory and for our good. Think of it like this. Um, I have a supposedly smart TV in my house. And these things are supposed to be able to do anything. And so one of the supposed benefits of a smart TV is that you can browse the internet with it uh, if you need to. And so there have been times where there's been like a sporting event on some like really not available on any of the 900 sports channels that you can get on a TV or on the internet. And I need to go to like to an actual website to try to watch a sporting event. But anytime I try to do that, the, the screen freezes up and stops and I have to shut it down and revert back to just watching the TV as normal. The smart TV can't function as she tries to do so. She is stretched too thin. I think the church can sometimes become so consumed with so many different things, some of them very, very, very good things, and yet she gets stretched too thin 
that she loses her significance and her power because she has departed from her first love in the name of perhaps relevancy in the world around her. And so as we wonder, what would God have for First Baptist Church of Situate in 2021 after a pandemic coming off the heels of that in a church where we're still getting our footing? Titus has those answers for us because God has those answers for us in his word. Look at how Paul words verses one and two. Paul, listing all of his credentials there, he says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. The word apostle simply means one who was an eyewitness of Jesus and his work and his miracles and also was commissioned by Jesus. So we don't still have apostles today. Those are the ones who are around Jesus and specifically commissioned by him. So Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus for the sake of the faith of God's elect And their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. In hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised before the ages began. Let's pause there. You know, perhaps the first thing all of us must ask ourselves at the outset of our study in Titus is, how will I listen to God's word? Will I humbly listen? Will I receive it receptively and acknowledge my own need that I sit in a constant place until the day I die where I will need to be addressed and even admonished by God's word in my life? Or will I sit in a manner in which we can all, pastors included, sometimes default to a little easily? Where I, you know, I receive God's word as a, the, the things that, okay, that's easy, that's good, that's comfortable. Ugh, that part's a little more pushy for me, or that part's a little more difficult for me to reach to, or, or for me to get on board with, so I'm just going to hold that one off a little bit. The question that we all must ask ourselves as we listen to Paul, because understand this, as Paul walks into the room to the church that Titus is pastoring in Crete, and he lays his credentials on the table and says, you are hearing from the voice of God. Not because he was Paul, but because he was commissioned by God, just as an ambassador for the nation might walk into a room and he speaks not as the president, but as a voice with the authority of the president. Paul, as an ambassador of God, holds the people of Crete and the church there to account and God, by his power, holds us to account just as these are the very words of God for us. So the question is. Will I avoid the skepticism, the dismissiveness that can sometimes permeate my mind as I sit under God's Word? Will I forsake an attitude where I want to be encouraged, but not exhorted? Where I want to be comforted, but not corrected? Where I want to rejoice... But don't tell me about the responsibilities that God's word gives me. We have that attitude. I encourage you in preparation for our time in Titus over the next few weeks to to just read through the book. It's three small chapters. You can read through it in about 10 to 15 minutes. Just read through it a few times repeatedly. Maybe read through it each morning in your time in God's Word and pray that God would give you a humble heart to submit yourself and our church family under the authority of His Word, ready to receive all that He would have for us. And particularly pray that God would give you a soft heart to hear how you and how we need to pray 
and pursue growth together in His church. It's likely that for some of us, we'll come away from this study thinking, hey, that's largely what I understood about the church. Okay, God, help us to implement it and help us to grow in it. But it's also entirely possible that for some of us, even some who have been Christians for many years, that you will walk away from the book of Titus and you will think, hmm, this forces me to re-examine what I thought I knew about the church. And even what I thought about my role, my connection to the church, and what it means to be a follower of Christ. And so a good prayer for all of us as we open up Titus, recognizing that God is the authority over us and by his word he speaks to us and under his word we sit, not receiving cruel beat downs, but receiving merciful grace via his word. A good prayer for all of us at the outset may be something like, God, help me to see what I must see in Titus. Help me and us as a church to pursue faithfulness as a church, as revealed in Titus. And help us to know that your design for the church is your design for my ultimate foundational good as your child. And so brothers and sisters, as we move on from this authority that Paul lays out at the outset. God is the authority over his church. He sets the course for the church not the voices around us, not even the voices inside of us, where we would say, I want the church to be about blank. No, God sets the course for the church. Now we move on to see the purpose behind His design for the church. So if the authority is God, do you know what the purpose is? Our growth. Our growth. Look at chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. As I read these verses, verses, listen carefully to the reasons that Paul wrote Titus. Listen to these. Sometimes, sometimes you can read over an introduction and, 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 you, and, you, and you miss the, the, the gold that is in there. Listen to this. Paul, a servant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ, listen now, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised before the ages began. So it's like Paul is holding up here faith, knowledge. These two come together and, 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 and inform our godliness as the people of the church, as the people of God. And that godliness is nourished and watered by the hope that we have in God and in his eternal promises to us. Faith, knowledge, Birthing godliness together, nourished and watered by that eternal hope that we share. And so, get this. Paul is going to give a blueprint for the church after talking about the the power of the growth that we find in his word. And here's what we understand as believers. Throughout our study in Titus, we are going to learn that God's design for the church is not a millstone around our necks that would drag us down and drown us. But God's design for the church is actually an unsinkable boat that safely carries us through the rough waters of life as we anticipate safe arrivals, safe arrival in the peaceful harbor of God's presence. The uncomfortability that we may feel is a means by which God is Tying us to this boat of the church by which he is going to carry us to safe harbor in his presence. 
And so you see that there. Right at the outset, for the sake of the faith of God's elect. We Christians are God's elect. God, do you realize that you did not choose God first of all? There is very much a reality whereby we who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, we have acted uh, 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 out of our, our, our will and placed our faith in God. But it is as if the system was already rigged and God had already begun the work of drawing you to faith in Him. He had begun the work of wooing you by His love. God has set us apart to be recipients of His grace and to be preserved by Him even as trophies of His grace. And here is why one of the many reasons why this is good news, okay? You see this here. In verse 1, look at this. For the sake of the faith of God's elect, that's electing grace of God in our past, and in hope of eternal life, which God who promised beforehand, which God who never lies promised before the ages began. So it's like the Christian life as you and I know it, navigating today, navigating the trials of tomorrow, navigating the trials and the hardships and the calamity that this life may bring, it is as if we are in a, in a hammock of this life but the, the tree behind us upholding this life for the Christian is God has elected you by his mercy. He has set you apart. Nothing can take you out of his hand. And the hammock in front of you upholding or, or the tree upholding the hammock, uh, the tree in front of you is the eternal hope that you share, that we share in the confidence that he will sustain us no matter what may come. So as Christians, we rest in the eternal past electing work of God for us and in the eternal hope that we share in the confidence in God's faithfulness that he will see us through. So you may say life may feel like anything but a hammock on a beautiful day. Or you may feel like, yeah, I feel like sometimes I'm trying to rest in a hammock and then it's like this weekend and three inches of rain falls upon me. In fact, Stephen... I had a problem with that song we sang just a few minutes ago. Because I am not happy all the day. Remember that line from At the Cross? I'm not going to go try to find it. I can't find it in that music. At the Cross, at the Cross, and now I'm happy all the day. You might say, I am not happy all the day. Am I, is something wrong with me as a Christian? No. I think what the author of that song was doing, well, first of all, our hymns are not inspired in the same way the Bible is. Hymns are a very good gift for us, but they're not inspired. So that's the first part. But the second part, sometimes hymn writers of centuries ago, words can have a little different meaning back then than they have for us today. Maybe the, 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 maybe the, the way in which we might want to understand that is the hope that we have in the gospel. And so maybe the exhortation here for us as, the, as Christians, as the church, is to recognize that the happiness all the day is tied to the hope in all of the promises of God. Maybe that is a means by which we are a little more happy resting in the hammock of His love. And so, this concept of of godliness, faith, knowledge, coming together for godliness. You might imagine those two terms, faith and knowledge, Think of a church of great faith. What do you think of? Maybe a church where a lot of miracles are done or, or you hear word of miracles or they, they, they had incredible giving numbers or, oh, wow, 754,000 people became Christians there last year. Wow, they got a lot of good going on. 
And everybody there just has a big smile on their face, and they're all so jolly and happy, and, and it's almost like uncomfortable uh, uh, happiness going on there for hardened New Englanders. And then you think of a church of all knowledge, kind of a stodginess around the room. Everybody wears cardigans. Nobody smiled in 15 years. Everybody knows Hebrew and Greek. I was like, wow, being a member there, I guess I've got to have a Ph.D. in Old Testament first. Well, no, that's not either of those. Faith and knowledge are actually these two ingredients that come together for our good. So you think of knowledge of God's Word. You think of this knowledge whereby we, re- we realize and we see the promises of God that He has made to us. And faith is saying, I'm trusting in the God who has made those promises. I'm trusting in the power of God whereby He has acted on the part of His people before in ages past. And I'm trusting that He is going to work this out in my heart. And so godliness is in one sense taking God at His word. Godliness is simply a life set apart as pleasing to God. So it is my actions seeking to honor God. It is my heart seeking to trust God. It is my mind seeking to meditate upon God. Godliness can best be understood as Christians acting as if God is real. His word is true. His son is risen. His spirit is at work in us. And that is what faith and knowledge do. They help us to take God at his word. They help us to believe, yes, he is real. Yes, his son is risen. Yes, his word is true. And yes, his spirit is at work in me right now. And so his spirit, through the word, by the power of the son, is still accomplishing his work in growing me in godliness, even today, when I don't feel very godly. When I'm a little short with people. When I'm a little angry. When I'm a little worked up. When I'm a little sad. When I don't understand why the last few weeks, the last few months, the last few years have unfolded the way they have. Godliness is not putting a smile on your face and saying, well, I'm happy all the day. Godliness is trusting in the God of which we hope. One way that knowledge and faith are married together in the life of the church is in our churches praying together. In prayer, we grab hold of the promises of God and ask His mercy to apply them to our lives. One thing I'm looking forward to this summer in our church is is the ways in which we will be able to spend time together without masks, or if you still need to wear a mask, or if you want to wear a mask, that's fine too, but we'll have an aim of spending time together with fun game nights, getting to hang out, getting to know one another, even getting to give each other a hug. And we're going to have a church-wide cookout in August. One of the great things in a year in which we have not been able to see and be around each other very much, one of my goals for us this summer is for us to see and be around each other. But we're also, in addition to these, we're going to have times of prayer meetings together. Three of them over the course of the summer. One of them next Sunday at 6 p.m. right here. I encourage you to make plans to attend if you are at all able to do so. Even you say, I don't really know how to pray or I'm uncomfortable praying out loud. We won't make you to do so. It's a great place to come learn to pray. Next Sunday, 6 p.m. here, and then Sunday, July 11th, and Sunday, August 22nd. If you want to put those on your calendar right now, feel free to do so. June 6th, July 11th, August 22. We're going to pray together. Praying together is a significant means of our growth in faith. What prayer is, is it's laying hold of the promises of God that He has put our name on. Let me say that again. Prayer is laying hold of the promises of God that He has put our name on. Prayer is saying, I am in this hammock between God's elect and God's hope, and I am trusting that God will sustain me. And prayer is that faith lived out. 
I pray that God would make us a praying church that's fueled by knowledge and faith. So do you see how these come together to work godliness in the people of God? But one way this works in our godliness and in our growth as people that honor God and make much of God in our lives is that this, uh, this, this is not necessarily seeing incredibly miraculous works like, oh, that was a great work of faith. But godliness is more to the turf, more to the ground, more to the real life, more to the day by day. Great British preacher of a century uh, of last century, Martin Lloyd Jones, said, "A great sign of faith is not necessarily seeing great miraculous works, but it's getting home after a long day and loving my wife with humility and kindness and not being short with her, even though I've had a very long day." This is the idea of God working and growing the faith of His people and producing godliness. Godliness may be born through faith and knowledge in the single Christian who desires to be married or to have children, but that just hasn't happened yet. Knowledge of God's word certainly shows her that God was faithful to his people, even when they felt alone in this world. And faith trusts that God will, in fact, keep his promises and show himself to be faithful. Thus, godliness, in the case of this one, is living in hope, not lowering expectations for what you want or, or what you need or what God's word instructs in a spouse, but trusting God with the course for which he set your life, no matter what it may be, no, no matter how long you may wait, trusting that he has your best interests at heart, and trusting that each day. That's godliness. Godliness may be born through faith and knowledge in the Christian who has experienced loss or unforeseen tragedy, and they don't know where to turn. Knowledge of God's Word shows that God is not distant in the tragedy, but that He is near to the brokenhearted. Faith means trusting that God can bring redemption and a defeat of death, even if it is only fully realized in eternity. And then godliness is simply taking one step after another, you have a broken, sorrowful heart, but you know that God binds the heart of the brokenhearted and you will entrust yourself to him. Remember how I said one tree that holds up the hammock of the Christian life is God's grace, his electing grace. And now the other tree that holds up the hope of Christian life is the hope of eternal life that we share. And so look at verse one there for the sake of the faith of God's elect, their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, then comma, verse two, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages begin. Godliness is not an empty, put a smile on your face, turn that frown upside down, cheery disposition. But no, for the Christian, godliness is tomorrow's hope applied today. Godliness is tomorrow's hope applied today. Think of it like this. In a few weeks, my family and I are going to do some traveling. I'm looking forward to the trip, but I'm not looking forward to the preparation for the trip. I'm not looking forward to the packing. I'm not looking forward to the errands. I'm not looking forward to the to-do list. I'm not looking forward to everything that I'll have to get done the day of or a day or two before. Laundry, stopping at the pharmacy, making sure you have enough toys for the kids, that you're in a hurried frenzy to get everything done. Well, godliness is the preparation for the trip. And Titus would have us to prepare, not for a trip in this life, but for the trip in which we will dwell in the presence of our God. This is the eternal hope in God who never lies and who he promised before the ages begin. Wouldn't it be wise of us who profess to be Christians to start preparing for heaven? Would that not be wise of us? Christian hope of eternal life is not at the whims of a magic eight ball like, gee, I hope this might be true. And then you shake it and it's like, eh, maybe not. Well, okay, try again. Oh, looking better than, better than uh, not. Okay, a little better. 
pretty certain. All right, I'll take it. No, that's not Christian life. Look at this in verse 2. In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. Never lies. So if you look at these verses, we're going to have that hope. We're going to keep it in the forefront of the mind to the point where our lives are being changed by it. How does that happen? His purpose is our growth. The authority is God. So how does he do this? Lastly, the plan for our growth is through his word. Through a faithful, steady diet of God's word in our lives. So I'll pick up in verse 2. In hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. As we sit under God's word and the preaching of it, we're doing the work of undergoing a transplant of our hearts. In fact, while well, we've undergone the transplant, but now for the rest of our lives, God through his word is connecting all the arteries, connecting everything together, that the blood of God's grace and his power might start to flow even to the, our outer reaches and to our extremities, that the new heart may be beating more and more and more in us. Listen to me very closely. The purpose of the Bible, the purpose of preaching, the purpose of opening up the Bible over coffee with another brother or sister is nothing less than reaching your arms into eternity and grabbing hold of the ground of heaven so as to not be pulled away by the machine and the destruction and the death of life on this earth. Don't you want to grab hold of the ground of heaven and not let go? We do it through the Word. Make it a focus to prioritize the preaching of God's Word as you sit under it. Pray for the preachers of God's Word in our church. If you can't be here one week, tune in via our podcast to hear the most recent sermons and to be clued into what God is showing us in His Word. This text grabbed a hold of me as I prepared this week. Don't ever believe that the introductory to a book is perfunctory and boring. These are God-authored, life-giving words of the Bible under His authority. And this is the manner by which He nourishes and He waters our faith, knowledge, and godliness. Flippancy towards the preaching of God's Word breeds flippancy towards God. You ever say, I wish I could hear the voice of God? It's in His Word. It's in His Word. How about we commit? As opportunities arise, we're going to walk alongside of one another in the Word. If you would like somebody in our church family to help you to understand the Bible more, maybe to begin walking through the gospel of Mark together, just to get an introduction to Jesus, let me know and I will find somebody that can help you. It will be a peaceful, calm time of looking at God's Word and seeing the glories of Christ. Have you ever visited a planetarium? You know, you lean back on this recliner thing and it's a ceiling actually kind of like this. Um, and it gets dark and you see all the stars, all the galaxies, all everything in the sky. And you lean back and you take this massively expansive dark sky with everything in it. And what faithful biblical preaching does is it seeks to uphold various aspects, various constellations, various galaxies of God's Word that all come together to paint the picture across the whole span of 66 books of the Bible of the majestic glories of the God who has created us and who has given us life and who has sustained us and has shown His mercy to us. What it does is it seeks to uphold this Christ and this God for us through the word week by week by week. And yet, in when we gather as a church, we see this as well. In the whole life of the church, in our corporate worship together week by week, when we pray in praise and thanksgiving and in confession and petition, we are acknowledging the myriad of human emotions. We are being reminded that God cares for us and addresses us when we are sorrowful and when we are rejoicing. 
Same thing can be said for songs we sing. I pray that our songs would, would have a, would, some would have a tinge of lament and sorrow for when our hearts are grieving and heavy, but also a tinge of gladness and excitement and rejoicing for when we celebrate the vast riches of Christ and the bountiful feast that we enjoy in His presence. When we hear a scripture reading seemingly from the middle of nowhere in God's word, as we heard from Simone this morning, we are hearing a promise of God's presence with his people that we need to hear. When we hear a testimony of God's saving power at work in Dave, as he shared, we are hearing yet another testimony of God's power at work in bringing someone who was once dead in sin to life in Christ. Our brother was once in spiritual darkness, but he now sees. And the general force of all of the whole life of the church together is to behold the wonder of God who hung the stars in the sky and who has given us new life and brought us into a family of believers that he is going to have his name glorified through. Are you looking forward to Titus? I am. I'll tell you, I'm not looking forward to building a swing set. Finished product will be nice, but I'm not looking forward to the actual process. I don't have the carpentry capabilities or the reading comprehensions or the patience to be able to do it without bearing quite significant hardship along the way. I'll probably finish the project with a few less fingers than I started with. Praise to God that no such questions exist about building the church. He gives us the instruction manual, but even more than that, He promises that He will accomplish it. Look at verse 4. To Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. God will nourish and sustain us with grace and peace as we go, brothers and sisters. Because God has firmly established His Word for the church and He will accomplish His purposes for us through His Word. Let's pray. God, You have given us Your Word, which testifies of Your authority and which testifies of Your plan for us and Your purpose for the church. May we sit in humility under Your Word and under the preaching of it and under, under, under the authority of it in our devotions and in our time, studying it and our time in it with one another. May we be a people of prayer. May we be a people of humility before Your Word. And may You grow us by Your strength and by Your power and Your might at work within us to the glory of Your name. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.